You know, I, I don't know if there are other firms that have publicly talked that much about it. I do know just in private conversations that we have with other VCs, it's it's certainly something that people are thinking about. Um, and so I think that, you know, the industry obviously is thinking about it very much. Um, from a venture perspective, it's it's kind of a difficult thing to wrap your head around how to handle because if you think about consumer technology companies, almost by definition, a great consumer technology company has to create something that is uh, habitual, right? It, it forms a habit and that uh, habit can become an addiction. That was Doug Clinton. He's managing partner at Loop Ventures, a venture capital firm that's focused on frontier technology companies. Loop invests in the future of work, retail, communication, transport, play and experience. In this episode, Doug's going to talk to us about the investment opportunities for technologies that respect and enhance human well-being, how you can make your phone less attentionally demanding, and also the important role of the global investor community in raising awareness of humane technologies. But before we start the show, I want to welcome you to Digital Mindfulness. On this show, we bring together experts from around the world who focus on discovering and creating time well spent digital experiences. Over the last four years, we've brought together global thought leaders to discuss the latest thinking on topics as diverse as digital wellness, ethical computing, digital detoxing, mindful technology, information overload, and much, much more. To find out more about us and to join our growing international community, go to digitalmindfulness.net where you'll find some required listening podcasts and link to our upcoming international events. Okay, let's get on with the show. I hope you enjoy listening to Doug Clinton. Hi, Doug. Welcome to Digital Mindfulness and thanks so much for spending some time with us here today. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. So Doug, if you would, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and particularly the work that you're doing at Loop Ventures in relation to technology and smartphone addiction, because it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, we're a seed stage venture fund. So we invest in early stage startups. And um, to date, we've invested in about 18 companies. It's across uh, different, we kind of think of it as frontier technology categories. And so it's things like artificial intelligence, robotics. Uh, We look at augmented and virtual reality, and we look at a lot of things related to neurotech. And so I think as we have seen these technologies uh, and the impact that they can have on human beings, we've thought a lot about the ethics of what we invest in. And I think as a component of that, uh, tech addiction is very topical right now. It's something that we've started to think about uh, in terms of what we invest in and, and are the applications that our investments are creating, do they help with the tech addiction problem? Do they uh, contribute to the tech addiction problem? And so we've started to write about some of our thoughts about the topic and we've even done some experiments with um, using some devices that we've created uh, to reduce the number of applications we can use and, and sort of see what the impact is on us as individuals. That's great, Doug. So um, would you say then that you're one of the very first companies within the investor community to really start thinking seriously about this space 
um, and the and the opportunities that it affords. You know, I, I don't know if there are other firms that have publicly talked that much about it. I do know just in private conversations that we have with other VCs, it's it's certainly something that people are thinking about. Um, and so I think that, you know, the industry obviously is thinking about it very much. Um, from a venture perspective, it's it's kind of a difficult thing to wrap your head around how to handle because if you think about consumer technology companies, almost by definition, a great consumer technology company has to create something that is uh, habitual, right? It, it forms a habit and that uh, habit can become an addiction. Um, you know, obviously things like alcohol uh, or drugs are easy examples, um, but even just a great product that you enjoy using and you, and you have a good experience with using, you're incentivized to come back and use that product over and over. Um, and so there's this sort of dichotomy as an investor of we want to invest in products that people really love, uh, but we also want to make sure we invest in products that are being created by founders and teams uh, who are thinking about, I think, maybe the excess that they may create in, in sort of the habits they're forming with their great products. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, maybe that component is, is something as a venture firm uh, is the first time a firm has philosophically thought there and, and talked about it publicly. So Doug, in all of the research that you've done at Loop Ventures and your colleagues continue to do, would you say then that the tide of the startup community is shifting towards an ethics first approach that that founders are veering towards designing for ethics first rather than engagement and eyeballs i I think that certainly the ones that we invest in we we like to think that they are Um, i think that kind of across the board most of the founders that we talk to uh, have given thought to what is it that they'd feel comfortable with with sort of their products representing or being used for? Um, and I think it's a careful balance because as a founder, you know, great founders usually have this very uh, specific vision. They see something about the world that maybe the rest of the world doesn't understand yet that makes them great. And they have a narrow focus to deliver whatever product it is that they can create to help the rest of the world recognize that vision. And I think sometimes that narrow focus can exclude sort of an ethical mindset. And, you know, Facebook is an example where I think that, uh, I don't think the company is unethical, but I do think that the company is just so focused on this idea of connecting the world and, and helping the world be more connected in a closer place that they may miss some of the components that they've created, some of the systems they've created and sort of the negative side to that, you know, not all things, um, related to connectedness are positive. And so I think that the danger when we talk to founders who have this tunnel vision about what they're trying to create uh, and excluding maybe some ethics, you know, that's something that we look out for. But I do think, you know, because this topic is, is sort of so present today, uh, a lot of the founders are at least thinking about it, you know, even if they do run into that tunnel vision issue. I think that's a really fabulous phrase that you just mentioned there, that not everything associated with connectivity and connecting people is positive. And one of the things that we've spoken about a lot on the show is the way that um, oftentimes developers are rewarded by the market for by designing for 
attention and designing for to engage people because these things in particular um, drive the bottom line in terms of getting more users to install apps or to use a particular service or to have people spend more time with that particular digital artifact, whatever that may be. So I guess my real question, Doug, is again, from your vantage point, would you say that the market now is ready to reward developers who would design with, again, an ethics first mindset? Or would you say that, again, the market is still catching up to that? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a contrarian view, which, I mean, if you think about just investment philosophy for for a minute here, um, you know, you can't create value by being consensus. And everybody understands that these addictive products uh, can be very lucrative from a financial standpoint. So that that concept, I think, is consensus. The non-consensus thing is saying, okay, society right now feels like it's on this brink of understanding that some of these technologies are maybe not that healthy for us. And so they're looking for alternatives to, you know, spending three hours on Facebook or Instagram and, and kind of walking away and feeling bad about yourself. So I think that, you know, the non-consensus view is, well, are there some products that we can uh, help bring to market that maybe optimize some of the positive things that do happen with connectedness, but minimize some of the uh, negative things, the, the excess of connectedness. And so I think it's, it's again, it, it gets back to this idea of kind of a careful balance. Um, but I think that there could potentially be this, this huge opportunity if the world shifts a little bit in terms of how it thinks about consuming technology products and is uh, more deliberate about trying to find these products that maybe are not as, uh, as harmful as, as some of the social media and, and other media products that we do consume are. So, Doug, I just want to expand on my last question a little bit more and kind of have you expand a little bit on what you were talking about in terms of investment philosophy, um, because I'm really interested to know about the research you've done and again, how that is colouring your perception or the company's perception of the market insofar as are you seeing now a greater um, call, greater clamour from consumers for this type of technology that, that, that isn't attention first, that doesn't just look for engagement? I, I think we are starting to see that. And we've, we've actually thought about the world in terms of uh, individual technology usage on this sort of bell curve. And um, in the middle of the bell curve, which is you know, probably 90% of the population. It's people who uh, use their phones regularly. They have some level of addiction uh, to Facebook or uh, even email your browser. There's, you know, endless content that you can view, even if you're just addicted to Safari. Um, and so we've got this middle component of the bell curve that we kind of think of as functional addicts. And so, you know, they're, they're not, spending their entire day looking at Instagram and, and not going out into the world. You know, that's probably the left-hand side of the curve and that's a very small component of society. But they're, you know, regularly engaging and, and uh, have some level of addiction they're dealing with. And then there's a right-hand side of the curve that we've thought of as this sort of superhuman class, the people who find ways to minimize their reliance on the content they can find on their devices. And so that 
happens in many forms. I think some of the notification minimization that um, a lot of people are sort of doing now is, as they understand how much screen time they're spending um, through the Apple and Android's uh, applications that help them with that is one component of it. But just erasing social media, uh, erasing YouTube, even erasing email, which is a little bit more aggressive. I think there's a small class of people who kind of fit on that right-hand side of the curve who are superhuman. And so if you think about that graphic of the bell curve and this large middle class of, you know, sort of average or functional addict, as we think of it, um, products to help the concept of functional addict, I think are very useful. And so to tie it back to your question of, are we seeing products in the market that are sort of being developed with this concept of addiction in mind? We are. And I think uh, as you think about the, the kind of functional addict class, if you can create a product that helps someone get addicted to a more useful behavior, so maybe it's something like walking or exercise or putting other components within an application that keep you coming back. You get used to that drip, but the drip is actually to do something healthy. I actually think that is a really valuable uh, technology evolution that we're seeing in some of the apps uh, that, that and some of the companies that we're seeing pitch us um, for funding. That whole idea of using um, human psychology and especially the proclivity to um, be intensely engaged in a particular activity um, and shaping that towards positive outcomes or positive behaviours. This is something that we've spoken a lot about on the show and, um, and it's a really interesting field of study and again just field of development people are building really fabulous tools in this space particularly related to things like um, health and mental well-being but I think Doug you're probably aware of what my next question is going to be given what you've just spoken about do you have any examples of that you can share of companies that you're aware of that are doing really good work in this space yeah, I'll give a couple of, of uh, basic examples. I won't mention the names of the companies, um, but one example is there's there's a company that has uh, spent a lot of time researching behavior psychology, understanding uh, habit formation, and they're sort of creating a software platform that helps application developers, for example, like a, uh, it might be a, a medicine company a pharmaceutical company that wants to make sure their patients are taking their medicine. And so they form uh, habits through adding their software to an application that the uh, pharmaceutical company would develop. And so obviously they don't have the expertise to understand behavioral psychology as it relates to uh, applications on a smartphone, but they would work with this third-party company and use their technology to create these sort of habit-forming uh, behaviors within their application that would increase the efficacy of the of the medicine. Um, I think another example is we've seen some companies that are using AI to create mental health uh, bots, essentially. So the ability for, especially I think the younger population who are maybe less apt to have in-person relationships and they're more comfortable talking to whether it's a person or a machine, uh, through their devices, but just sort of having a, a sounding board, this sort of feedback mechanism where they can say, hey, I'm having you know a hard day. And the bot, even though it 
today is fairly basic in its ability to understand what that means and how to make you feel better. It might be able to share a video with you uh, from something it found uh, on YouTube or elsewhere about how to deal with depression or how to deal with a breakup or how to deal with all these other things that happen in our lives um, that are difficult situations. Um, and so in that sense, I think you can create these healthy habits around the devices that we all sort of are certainly addicted to and, and like to go to when we need help in those in those examples. Yes, um, Doug, I think that certainly is true. And I'm really curious to know whether you think that the moves by these companies that you've just been speaking about, in addition to the big operating system level changes that companies like Google and Facebook and Amazon have made with respect to their digital well-being tools. I'm interested to know whether you think that, again, this is more a signal of a bigger change within the market towards um, tools and architecture that favor digital well-being or whether you think actually this is just a knee-jerk reaction to the cultural zeitgeist it's it's been hard to um really determine what we feel about you know the bigger companies doing it i mean i think apple and google again like we talked about facebook i don't think that they uh intend harm and i think to varying degrees they're very conscious about the power of their technology. Um, but in our minds, it, it's just hard to imagine how effective companies who are incentivized for their users to be addictive uh, to their products, how they can really break the addiction cycle. You know, it's sort of like asking uh, an alcohol company to figure out how to solve being addicted to their products. It's something that just doesn't seem to make logical sense. And so I think that they certainly feel the responsibility to give tools to help people understand their usage patterns, but I don't think they're going to be the ones that really figure out the solution only because they're disincentivized to to be the ones that figure out the solution. Um, and so I think, you know, we we've sort of seen it more as there needs to be third-party companies that can benefit from creating uh, either those sort of addictive, healthy addictive products that we mentioned for that, you know, middle class of the functional addict, functional tech addict, um, or thinking about that sort of right-hand side of the curve again, kind of that superhuman class where can you develop a product for someone that wants to be disconnected and really help them optimize their life uh, without having technology. And so those are kind of the two markets I see uh, as the sort of incentive creation for companies to be formed that actually help solve the problem instead of just give us some more insight into the problem we already have. So Doug, I'm really fascinated by the role of the investor community in bringing about um, change and also increasing awareness of the need for technologies that don't just seek to capture people's attention and hook them in for as long as possible but actually bring greater awareness to the need for um, technologies to have a positive impact on human and societal well-being but it would be great if you could just talk about your perception of the increasingly important role of the investor community in bringing about the changes that we've both been speaking about up until now. It, yeah, it's it's something that 
we've given a lot of thought to and I mean, as investors, we have a fiduciary responsibility to uh, our limited partners who who we represent to generate returns for them. And so no matter what your investment um, you know, philosophy is in terms of investing in technology or investing in public companies, private companies, I think you always have to keep in mind the responsibility you have to uh, the people who believe in you. And so, you know, that thing, that, that, responsibility is always first and foremost in our minds. And I think, you know, we've, we've definitely given a lot of thought to how we balance it. And I think like we talked about before, we kind of view it as the potential to actually generate excess returns for our limited partners uh, because we do think it's a real opportunity. Um, You know, we, we maybe not have not necessarily found the right company yet or the big hit uh, to take advantage of the opportunity. But, you know, if, if we can find a way to help, create businesses that offset some of the negatives. Um, I think that as investors, it would be our responsibility to invest in those companies and, and try to generate great returns from those investments uh, while also doing you know, a positive thing for society. Thanks, Doug. That's great. Um, so I guess my last question really is to have you look into your crystal ball and just let us know what you think the future of the industry will be, whether you think that this lean towards ethical technologies is actually going to play out and become a mainstream fixture or not. I think there will be a little bit like we talked about before. I, I think that um, to think the world will drastically change from what it is today is usually a failing proposition, you know, at least in the foreseeable future. So talking about, you know, a five, seven, maybe even 10 year timeline, the concept of social media, YouTube, uh, you know, mobile content, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, You know, the world will probably look fairly similar in five years, but I do think there will be very valuable pockets within that, that do recognize that there is a problem here for a lot of people. And uh, to the extent you recognize the problem and are able to build your life around it to avoid it, I think that that is a very powerful thing. And I think that that audience can be a very powerful customer base for some companies that, that figure out how to deliver the right products to them. Um, the thing that I would say too, just, just for everyone, obviously I think this audience is very well attuned to technology addiction, is to experiment for yourself. And something that has helped inform our thoughts at Loop Ventures is trying to go without a lot of the applications we're used to on our phones. And so we actually did a test. We called it the Good Phone Test. And we actually even built a website around it, goodphone.co, where we created the most minimal iPhone that we could imagine and still be functional in the real world. So there was no email, there was no browser, there's obviously no social media or entertainment. And even though we were very well aware of this technology addiction problem, uh, spending a week with that good phone made a huge impact in terms of how we think about things and recognizing what really is and isn't addictive. And so things like email, I think we think is fairly benign. It is a mechanism of addiction. And so it can be unhealthy even on our phones. And it, it changed the way we think about, I think, the concept in general. So I would encourage everyone, even though we're all well aware of the problem to really experiment for yourself to understand how 
uh, profound it can be to go without a lot of these applications and, and how it changes the way that you sort of view the world. Um, and so I know that's a bit of a divergence from the question, but I think understanding what it feels like to not have this device that's always begging for your attention can really sort of help inform how you think the future will play out. Um, and it's certainly done that for us. I know I said that was going to be my last question, but I'm absolutely fascinated by that um, by that experiment you were just speaking about. And I guess I've got a two-part question for you, Doug, because I'm really interested to know what the inspiration was, what the genesis was behind this particular experiment. Um, was it something that you caught wind of from organizations like um, the Center for Humane Technology, etc.? Um, yeah, I'm really interested to know that. And then also, um, if you can tell us, having done this experiment um, in a fast-moving industry such as yours, what was the effects on you personally? Yeah, I, I'd love to give a two-part answer too. The, the inspiration, it was sort of an evolution. Um, so as a team, we had talked about this, this crazy idea we had of, can we, could we go for a week and only use an Apple Watch? as our only connected device. So no, no phone at all. And so we actually did that about a month and a half ago. A bunch of us bought uh, Apple Watches, the, the most recent generation with cellular connectivity. And so we were doing conference calls on our watch with AirPods. Uh, we were reading messages on our watches, no phones for a week. And what we realized was that was a terrible experience. It was, it was too disconnected. So there is a spectrum of uh, useful dis disconnection and then unuseful disconnection where the world really isn't built for people to be totally disconnected without a phone. Um, it, it has actually a negative net impact on your functionality. And so after we did that watch test, we started to think about, well, what would, a, what would the perfect iPhone look like um, if you could only download a handful of apps that are you know, non-addictive for the most part and, and only productive? And so that's why we created this concept of the good phone. And um, we eliminated pretty much everything we started from scratch. We erased every single thing we could from the phone and then only added things that were necessities. And so in our mind, necessities are things like navigation, so Google Maps or Apple Maps, uh, things like transportation, which could be Uber or Lyft. You have banking and finance applications. Uh, and you have sort of, I, I guess you'd kind of think of it almost as like a very basic search function. So we actually added Google assistant. Okay. And that's essentially the purpose that served was this sort of very cut down browser. And so that was pretty much all we had in our phones. So we were able to hail a cab. We were able to get directions when we needed to. Uh, we also had travel apps. So like our boarding passes were on our phones and we had Google assistant, but no email, no social. And what we, what we noticed was the very first time that we reached for our phone into our pocket when we were looking for a distraction and we picked up our phone, opened it, and what I was doing literally was opening and closing just random apps because I was just trying to find stimulation. And about 30 seconds into that activity, you know, open and close Dropbox, open and close United app, open and close Lyft. It clicked for me. I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm looking for anything to just distract me for five minutes, which would turn into 30 minutes. And that was, I think, the real insight that made us say, this is something that's very real. This is something that's very profound and, and something we should be thinking more about 
as an investment opportunity and also, you know, for the companies we've already invested in, how they're sort of creating products for their customers. Um, and so I think the, the insight that I would wrap up with that is I think a lot of times we think about tech addiction as, well, we just delete social media and, and we'll be a lot better. But the test that we did really proved to us that it's not just social media. The phone itself is this, this device that sort of begs for your attention all the time. It's something that you know if you're bored for 30 seconds, you're going to pick it up and you'll find stimulation and you go into this sort of addiction loop. And so what you really need to do to break that loop fully is be radical with what you eliminate on your phone. And if you can cut your phone down to the bare necessities, you actually can destroy that loop and allow yourself to have a little more control over where you want to spend that, you know, boredom time, whether it's reading or, you know, working out or whatever a, a more healthy behavior might be. But I think that was the thing that, you know, I would encourage people to try it, to feel the sensation for yourself because me describing it really doesn't do it justice. It's, it's something you have to recognize for yourself. And I think it would, it would make a profound difference in terms of how you think about technology use. Great stuff. So you say the place to start with that experiment is goodphone.co. That's correct. Yeah. We have instructions on how to make your very own good phone on an iPhone. Great. So aside from the good phone website, where else can people find you on the web to connect to and talk more about your work? Yeah, certainly. We're uh, Loop Ventures. That's L-O-U-P Ventures.com. We publish research on uh, various topics. Technology addiction is, is one of many topics. We also write a lot about um, artificial intelligence, robotics, some of the publicly traded companies we talked about like Apple and, and Facebook. Um, and uh, you know, if you're interested in that type of content, I'd welcome everyone to visit our site there. And uh, feel free to reach out just to, through our contact form, if you'd like to talk to me more, I'm always happy to uh, discuss the topic of tech addiction. That's great. Thanks so much for being on the show with us today here, Doug. I really appreciate you being on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Lawrence.